right. Hey, everybody. <laughs> and uh, uh, welcome to the higher estate where we talk about all things related to cannabis and we bridge the gap, as usual, between the medical world and the lifestyle world. Uh, today, I have some awesome guests. Before I even talk about that, I do want to say something that's really cool. Janelle and I are going to be starting the Higher Estate Morning Edition. So uh, we're going to be coming on 7 to 8 every morning, giving you your daily dose of, oh, that's cool, your daily dose. I like that. And your daily dose of, uh, maybe we should call it the daily dose. The daily Fuck. hit. Yeah. Not, not a bad idea, the daily yeah. hit. That's actually cool, too. <laughs> I like okay, so you're gonna get your daily hit of uh, cannabis <laughs> and uh, news related to cannabis, but we're also gonna talk about wellness, health and wellness, um, all things related health and wellness, because as we know, cannabis we use as one modality uh, in a whole bunch of different treatments uh, when we talk about uh, you know the wellness um, agenda. Cannabis is just one of those things when we talk about plant-based medicine as well. So we'll get into all those things and hopefully you'll uh, you'll be you'll you'll want to listen. Fuck, uh, mom, I won't swear as much. I promise. Uh, anyway, so today, Janelle, hi. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Not too bad. Uh, hanging in there. <laughs> yeah. How's your uh, COVID quarantine? Uh, you know what? As a mom to a four-year-old, uh, I'm going to tell everybody. Check on your friends who are parents who are home with isolated with their kids. It's a tough time. <laughs> you know, so, it's funny. I, I was, I took a shower. I was taking a shower. That's funny because who takes a shower when you're home all day? Um, I was, I was taking a shower and my daughter was downstairs. And um, I don't know if you can leave a four-year-old. She's five in June. You know, I was like, I probably shouldn't do this. So I, I ran out of the shower. Grabbed my daughter, brought her upstairs, sat her down. I mean, she was pretty cool because she was just watching whatever. And then I heard the dogs barking. I'm like, shit, is somebody going to steal her and come into my house? Anyway, I got all paranoid. Uh, are you saying no, you can't leave? You know, you shouldn't. shouldn't. No, I Listen, I was on the couch one evening and I kid you not, my eyes just fluttered closed for like, 30 seconds and when I reopened them I had hot pink play-doh smeared all over my white walls that is amazing amazing all right so we uh, also have an amazing guest here today his name is Dr. Nick uh, Batero he is out of Florida and uh, I met him at the Florida Medical Cannabis Conference this is an amazing human he's a I mean, if you fuck, I was reading his his bio. He's got more credentials next to his name than anybody I know. Whole bunch of doctorates and and master's degrees. But anyways, as a human, he's an awesome dude. And uh, he told me some really great stories about how he got into cannabis. And we're going to talk to him about what the state of affairs is in Florida. We know where we are in Canada. And we'll talk about a little bit, hopefully we'll get into talking about what's happened now during the, the COVID uh, or the SARS-CoV-2 uh, pandemic and how it relates to cannabis and what he's going to do. Because he's also a medical director for uh, a cannabis company out in, in, uh, in Florida. So, um, Nick, hey. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, it's fun to be here. And uh, yeah, we had such a good time at that conference and uh, it was so awesome to meet you and uh, to continue that relationship too. You know, because it's, you meet so many people at these conferences and you're like, ah, we'll keep in touch and shit like that. But uh, how many do you uh, actually do? And then uh, it's just been awesome that, what has it been like three, four months now that 
uh, we've been talking and just uh, keeping this relationship going. So I love it. So thanks for having me on. Well, you're doing some really cool shit too, like you know some undercover research, which is pretty cool. I'd love to know what you're doing when it comes to cannabis. I'd love to know what's happening with uh, with even ophthalmology. Fuck, I don't. You're you're doing a whole bunch of stuff. So I want to hear about all, everything that you're doing. Yeah, for sure. Because that'll be pretty cool. Um, and uh, people want to know what's happening in the U.S. Because you know we hear so much about. Canada and the, you know, here in Canada, we hear so much about Canada and, uh, you know, the, uh, cannabis was taken off the essential services list. And so all of our dispensaries were shut down. Really? Uh, yeah. Every one of them. Not like you guys, you guys, it's still on the, uh, on the essentials list, right? Am I right? Yeah. In fact, that was actually a huge, uh, thing that happened is that uh it's always kind of been this gray area of are we essential service or not and now you know covid definitely pushed us and thankfully you know in, in the united states it's kind of a state-by-state -state thing but uh every state has absolutely rec uh, recognized cannabis is an essential medicine and we need to do everything in our our powers to uh allow our patients to continue and and, and customers in our adult use market to continue using this medicine so so that's that's pretty cool because it was taken off of ours. They are allowing some things like cur they did reopen to curbside, but I mean, still, it was taken off the list just as quick as it was put on. Uh, so I'd love to chat with you about all those things. But first, we're going to talk do our little COVID corner update. Uh, just uh, once again, I just want to give everybody like a little reference. What's the difference between COVID and SARS-CoV-2? SARS-CoV-2 is the um, actual virus, and then the symptoms that it causes is COVID, sort of like HIV is to AIDS. Same mm -hmm. idea. And uh, that's the way to look at it. Um, and so we're still in the same place as we were. Uh, we are spiking a little bit. Uh, actually, let's... Uh, I'm going to give you some Canadian statistics right now. Uh, I think uh, we, have some, we have some stats up there with our, our little where's everybody heading. So if you look at the little graph, you could see where where we are today. That's the beginning of April. We were we were pretty low uh, uh, throughout March, and it was only in the last you know couple of days actually that we started spiking up. Uh, it was bound to happen. Are we have are we overwhelmed? Um, not yet. I could talk about my own hospitals here. Uh, we're still fighting the good fight. We still have beds. We still have respirators. We're still doing a pretty good job of being able to care for people. And one of the major reasons we're able to do that is because people are physically distancing here. What's happening in the States? I don't know. Fuck. I don't, I, you guys are still doing booty shots. And I don't know what's happening over there. I, but I don't think anybody knows what's happening in the States, to be honest. <laughs> we're, I don't, we don't really... I mean, the truth is we're all confused because we just don't know. We don't have the... It's something that's so new to us. We just don't have all the details. Like, yeah. like it's it's a new virus. We haven't seen this before. We we know that it's come from some an animal. Likely the the host was was a bat. Who knows? But we've seen zoonic transmissions before. Most of the viruses we know today are pretty much from from animals and uh, transferred to humans. So that shit we know happens. Like H like even like we have the swine flu, bird flu. Fuck. Now we have COVID flu. <laughs> shit. It's the bat flu. It's la it's the bat flu. Uh, it's unfortunate. Nobody really knows what's happening. But what we do know is that physical distancing has worked. Um, and, you know, even last week when I came in, came on, I said we pushed week one till next week. 
So we're we're at week one now. Uh, we're still able to uh, we're still we're still holding tight. What I can say is that we're up to you know you guys are over what how many thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in the U.S. have have this virus now somewhere around. Yeah, I think I think today we just got over four hundred. Yeah, uh, you went over over four hundred. We're like we're at like twenty we're at like twenty thousand. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a big difference. We're at like twenty thousand and like five hundred deaths and four hundred twenty deaths confirmed. Four, I'm sorry, whoa, four hundred twenty thousand confirmed as of right now in the U.S. Fifteen, close to fifteen thousand deaths, and that's just of the numbers we're counting. That doesn't include, you know, all the people that haven't been tested that are sick and things like that. So, the one thing that I've seen, you know, dealing with this now for the past month uh, or more in the U.S. is that. Uh, you know, we go based off the knowledge that we have, the numbers that we have, but, um, they're not very accurate. Uh, you know, even, you know, last week they were saying our peak here in the States would be May 1st or around that time. They just moved that up two weeks to, um, to the third week of April. Um, here in Florida, same kind of thing. We were looking at uh, beginning of May peaking and now we're looking at earlier mm-hmm. next week peaking. So so many variables that you just cannot calculate uh, so many unknowns yeah and and we have no time to do any of the studies and everybody's talking about oh we got to do this study and that study i think we have time to treat people and try to like help them you know what i mean and and it's so tough because where you know in the in the lack when you, you don't have evidence you have to go on your best judgment and we're having all these conversations right now in hospitals as to you know who are we gonna you know how are we going to intubate these people? Who are we going to decide gets these ventilators? All this kind of stuff. Hopefully, we'll never have to come to that point here because, you know, physical distancing is working. And, you know, I actually appreciate our premier. I know it sounds crazy, but I appreciate him for being super honest from the beginning, saying this is going to fucking suck. <laughs> and unless you guys listen, there's going to be a lot of shit that goes down. So listen. He literally, that's basically what he said. It was just like there was no, oh, this isn't so bad, guys. It was none of that. It was. This is bad. If you listen, like at some point, like, you know, I appreciate the, the candor anyway. Okay. So, um, a lot of questions have come down, you know, uh, I've been asked is what we can expect for the future, right? So let's say COVID ends, what happens or what's the natural progression of most viruses and is COVID going to take on that natural progression? So there was a group that, uh, actually a YouTube that I watched out of, um, university of California, San Diego, uh, has, uh, they, they put out, uh, a really awesome lecture series done by a couple of docs here. This is the, uh, this is what it is. USC TV. Um, they did a really good basic science introduction to, uh, to this whole virus. And one of the things, a couple of things they talked about is, uh, what are the variables? You know, we often talk, we're, we're all talking, uh, uh, quite a bit about how does this thing transmit? How many people get infected by it? What happens to this, uh, what happens to the people who do get infected? <clears throat> and when we talk about transmission, I've talked about the R not before. That's that big R that you see that usually has a zero next to it. Um, that number, that or that letter R, is how this thing reproduces. You always want to keep it under one. Whenever you have something less than one, that means it's not going to last very long. It's going to go away. Otherwise, it's going to increase exponentially. And so the R naught or the reproducibility of COVID or of SARS-CoV-2 
um, that causes the uh, COVID, uh, the, the COVID symptoms is, uh, is two and a half. So it's actually quite high. Now, that's two and a half if we did absolutely fuck all. If we did nothing with our lives, lived our lives as we were supposed to, done nothing, walked, gone to work, didn't socially isolate, didn't physically isolate, didn't do anything, the R not or the reproducibility of it is two and a half. So for every person that gets infected, two and a half other people are going to get infected and they're going to infect you. And then poof, you have the whole world that's infected. You know, which brings me to something else that's crazy. Okay, fuck it. I'll finish this point first. I, I never really finished my points. Um, okay, so things that we can do to change to change the reproducibility of it, or the you know, is what we're already doing, and that's wear a mask. That's physically distancing. That's wearing gloves. That's doing the things that we can do to get in the way of its reproductive ability, right? So. Um, those are things we're doing well. So that minimizes and decreases it, decreases the, the reproductibility, uh, reproducibility. Sorry. Okay. I have to say, it. I got to get shit off my brain when I, when I, when I talk, uh, by the way, I have a swear jar today, but I have no money for it. This swear jar was made like, uh, two years ago when I, when I was started podcasting and well, I'm moving out. It's a sad day for me today. Cause I'm closing my clinic in Hamilton. So there's not like really a much larger jar. Yeah. <laughs> I've had guys come in and drop $20 bills, hundred dollar bills. They're like, I know what's going to happen here today. Uh, all right. So the reproducibility, we can change that. And uh, the way we change it is by physically distancing. So guys keep up the good work. One of the other ways we can change it. And uh, this is going to come to all those anti-vaxxers. And I'm going to swear a fuck ton because, you know, we have one virus that we don't have a damn vaccine for. And look what it's done. In three months, it's infected more than a million people worldwide. We've had over how many hundreds of thousands of deaths? Uh, over 100,000 deaths worldwide. And this is in three months. All right. That's from w the lack of one vaccine. Yeah. You know, so imagine we had we imagine we weren't vaccinating on the other things. You know what I mean? And people come to me. I've heard I've had this argument on Twitter like, oh, how many times have we had? The, oh, well, you know, measles isn't going to kill you. All right. Well, COVID doesn't kill 80 percent of the people that get it, you know, so but but yet y'all afraid of it and staying home. So like there's there's something to be said for that. So we definitely, you know, let's bring up that next slide that talks about the immunity, what we can expect from this. So, you know, most of our different uh, most the the progression of most viruses into the future, uh, either at one point we either have vaccines for them. Right. Um, or we grow immune to them and we develop uh, we develop antibodies to them. And uh, and for the most part, right now, we don't have the antibodies. So can you technically get reinfected? Well, the question is, viruses are, are pretty cool because they, they usually die down every, way, every summer, but they figure out a way to change themselves and morph themselves. I'll tell you, we're dealing with over 9,000 variations of this COVID virus already. All right, I know it sounds crazy, but that's what happens. It infects one person, it changes a little, and it goes into a bunch of others. So it is a really it like it's not that it's smart. It follows its genetic code, and it has the ability to reinfect you. That being said, like like you can get the flu every year. That being said, over time, most viruses 
pretty much all viruses. Either we come up with a vaccination or in time you grow, you develop immunity through um, antibodies. So that is likely the progression of what's going to happen here. It probably will stick around and it will mutate and it will change again. But over time, we are going to uh, develop some sort of immunity like we have with every other uh, every other virus that you can think of. You will have a common flu that those things still stick around. But if you look at if you one of the good things, I guess what we can say as uh, you know, just to finish up the covid corner is that covid doesn't kill many people. I know it seems like it does right now, but when we talk about things like swine flu or we talk about bird flu or you talk about MERS, Mediterranean fever or whatever, you're looking upwards of 40% mortality. If you look at SARS-1, SARS-CoV-1, CoV-1, its mortality was really high, but its transmission was a lot lower. So now we're dealing with a high transmission rate but a lot lower death. That being said, relative per capita, if you have, you know, it's like cannabis, people that use cannabis, you know what I mean? You got 40% of the population, you're bound to have a bunch of people in there that have some sort of, even though the rate of abuse is low, it may look greater just because you got more people using it. So same kind of picture here. You may look like there's a lot more people dying, but it's still around four to 6% versus 10 to 40%. So I, I think on the positive note of this whole thing, if we keep, if we have the ability to change its reproducibility and how, how many times it reproduces and how it does that, which we have been doing, we can affect that because we're fucking awesome. We can do that by staying inside or not meeting in large groups and doing all those things we're doing. And in the future, develop a vaccine that is going to save our lives or develop immunity over time from those who do recover from it. And then we have the ability to beat this thing, and clearly we're going to do that. Okay, that's all I have to say about COVID corner. Boop! Drop the mic. Um, <laughs> am I done? No, we're still going. Uh, Nick, do you have anything else to add to that that COVID thing? Yeah, I, I think everything you said was dead on. Um, the one thing, you know, a couple things that I was thinking of is, number one is is one thing I've been getting a lot of feedback on is like, okay, it's this bad now, so now what do we do? It's getting worse, now what do we do? And what I'm constantly having to remind people is a lot of the things that have been put in place by different departments of health or whatever it is, from the beginning addressed these more severe things of what to do personally, what can you do? So the social distancing, the hygiene, the, the hand washing, all these things, people are like, well, now what do we do? It's so, it's so much worse now. It's still the same steps to be able to mitigate and, you know, as many people have been calling, flatten the curve. It's still the same steps. So if you're doing those things, as a lot of people have, and I don't know how it is up there, but in the United States, it's, it's state by state, you know. Uh, New England, New York, Connecticut, those areas hit hardest in the United States. They're on complete lockdown. So you go out on the road and there's no one on the roads. Florida... When you say complete lockdown, like their businesses are closed or they're not allowed to leave their homes? Yeah, all non-essentials. And then, um, so then the question is, well, what's a non-essential service? So, uh, and then that again is state-led. So like New York and Connecticut, they really were strict on what essential services were. So the great majority of people are not working, you know, businesses and jobs are closed. 
And it's really just uh, the uh, healthcare workers and, and grocery stores and things like that, uh, the absolute essentials. The flip side of that is like, say here in Florida, yeah, we're stay at home orders are in place, but they just added like 20 different essential services, including like um, just things that are not essential services. So you'd see like a, um, a massage therapy is on there. Uh, I'm sorry, but you know, in a pandemic era, you can, you can go a couple weeks without your massages. So it's really a state by state and even in some cases county by county thing and how they're handling it here in, in uh, the United States. And regardless, so like in Florida, on my way to work, I'm an essential service I uh, in multiple areas. So, but I am still seeing a very close to the same amount of traffic in the morning. And you're like, wait a second, what's going on here? Um, you know, even friends that I have in New York, uh, you know, you get that just, uh, invincibility complex where uh, it's like prohibition era back in the 20s where you now in New York have these speakeasies uh, that are popping up where really gathering and there are these underground bars and underground clubs that are still allowing these things to happen so wow. yeah no. yeah I got a lot of friends in New York and they're just like yeah as crazy as it seems like oh my God. people will always find a way to do what they want and so it's this whole balancing act of, you know, what extremes do you go to to keep people safe? And but then the flip side is what extremes, if we take those, how is that going to hurt us as a nation or our economies, our businesses? You know, we had to, my a couple of my companies. We we had just this past week alone combined in three companies that I work in. Uh, we had close to 200 layoffs. So it's um it's just crazy how it's hurting our economy and it's also hurting our people. And the one last thing I'll add about this too is, and to kind of work off of what you were saying about how, you know, this is our initial impact from a brand new virus that we know nothing about. This will come back. We will have this and, and some models show peaking again in November that we're going to have a second wave come in November. And, and I believe that too. But the thing is, is in November, we're going to have a lot better idea of how to treat this, better ways to treat it. They're changing. We're already changing treatment plans now where the intensivists are now looking at this to treat it as a, an ARDS or like basically a lung failure uh, case. And it's much more of a um, hypoxia case where in the hypoxia is not just because of lung dysfunction. It's actually they're finding because of blood dysfunction. Yeah, there's a hemoglobinopathy. treatment thing happening now where they're looking at blood transfusion as a potential treatment. So more and more of these things are coming out. And as you said earlier, none of this is tested. None of these are double-blind study. You know, we have the science, but the science isn't tested or proven. So we as physicians are, and as a whole healthcare unit, a team, are really having to dig deep into that art of medicine of saying, okay, let's, let's think outside of the box here. Let's try these different things. And so in subsequent infections, whether or not it mutates or comes back or whatever, we're going to be much better prepared to handle this. Um, as you know, now, if you have symptoms of the flu, what do you do? You go get Tamiflu. Um, right. I'm sure you guys have that up there. But yeah. so does Tamiflu help? Great. Not really. It lessens the course by a day or two, but it's something. Um, could you see something like a potential for like a 
a COVID uh, Tamiflu type scenario. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, even there are anti-vaxxers like, oh, but, um, you know, like, like, fuck. <laughs> I, I like what, like, there's nothing to say to them. Like, honestly, um, it, right but, now they're sitting at home too. And it's like, you know, I can't wait till my kids grow up and, 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 and their generation is like anti-vaxxers. And, and then I'm going to be the one sitting there like, yeah, you don't remember the hell that this put right. the world through. Because now you get your anti-vaxxers saying, oh, well, polio. It's like, dude, polio is fucking bad. Right. You don't like, want polio. Pol I, had, I had an anti-vaxxer tell me that polio wasn't killing anybody. And uh, polio's not so bad. I'm like, because you didn't fucking live through it. So now you're living through one, right. one thing that has devastated the world in three months. Three months. Three months. It's crazy. Actually, you know, there, I have that one other slide now that I was thinking about it. The, what does the future hold slide? Like, the, uh, what's the likelihood of this coming back slide? And, uh, you know, there's a couple things on that that were, you know, first of all, we are the cause of this entire thing every flu that we see we've pretty much caused specifically because there's zoo zoonic transmission that causes these things they wouldn't have come to us if we didn't come to them and it's interest interesting that when we look at it we're likely going to see a lot more of these things because of all of these reasons this these slides were great and if you have a chance to listen to that to that um that webinar that was given at at uh, at university. Mine says awesome. <laughs> uh, 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 okay, I gotta I see psh, squirrel. Derek, you can't do that to me. Um, the uh, I don't even know what the hell I was talking about. Oh yeah, so we we pretty much caused most of this stuff. And you know, and I keep thinking about I'm a meat eater. I I like meat, but it's a problem. Like that's how we get these diseases by eating meat. If we weren't eating meat, we wouldn't have, and we weren't encroaching, encro encroaching, so that's probably the word, on the environment that they live in, we wouldn't have this problem. We can live symbiotically together, but when we start trying to dominate another species, the species eventually says, go fuck yourself. Because... Well, yeah, you know how AIDS started. Right. From chimpanzees, like well, not monkeys, right? Like it's not, it's not normal. It's not normal, right? But these are things that we as humans create, and so at the end of the day, we are the master consumers instead of the master. I think the world will change a little bit. I think when we get through this, I don't think the world in the last two hundred years, you know, has seen something quite like this. Maybe hundred years has seen something like this. Uh, anywhere from my our parents' generations all the way down, my grandparents' generations, they've never seen something quite like this. Not in, not in a first world country. And I think the world is going to come down to being a little bit more mindful. I don't know, Janelle. What do you think? I mean, I definitely like. I've had this conversation with family members of mine, and I think that this is going to be the catalyst for a lot of changes as far as how we deal with healthcare how we deal with the economy. Um, there's going to be so many changes. I was even saying like from a, when you look at the economy, even from a freelance perspective, um, a lot of freelancers are now in the position where they're like, oh my gosh, like I'm out of work. I don't have any sort of 
anything to fall back on because I don't qualify for a lot of these government um, subsidies and things like that that are happening. So I think that's going to create a change in that in the gig economy. I think as far as healthcare goes, it's going to make a massive change because now we're going to look at things a lot closely. And I think a lot of people are going to start taking their health a lot more seriously. What we put into our bodies, or even right down to our personal space. Because when this is done, that six feet of space, I don't know if that's going to be done with it. I think a lot of people are going to like respect personal space. Somebody yeah. gets close to you, you're going to be like, oh, whoa, 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 back up. Like, yeah. you're not going to want that anymore. That You know, that's a good point. I, I'm actually, like, I have, you know, my wife and I have, uh, or specifically my wife, has the spin studio. And, like, you know, uh, we're, we we spin in a box. Now, the truth is everybody's super healthy in there. And, uh, you know, you, you just I think you just have to take precautions. I think eventually we'll get back. We're human. So we, we need to we need touch and feel. We need to we need that social experiment. That's just what we need. And and somehow we we're going to get back to the to that. But it's going to be a long time. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, I think uh, I think we like I don't know. Well, that brings me to the cannabis space because right now we're in a, like a whole heap of uh, the cannabis space is in a whole heap of shit. And yeah. when we get to the news, eventually we'll talk about it. But let's get to Nick here a little bit because um, you've. You, I mean, you're you're an ophthalmologist. Yeah. How, what? How did like? How do you go from eyes to cannabis? How does you know? Uh, they happen both very independently. So uh, a little bit of about my backstory. So I actually growing up was not a big fan of cannabis uh, using it, uh, you know, tried it in, just like everybody else tried it. And I think actually the first time I tried it was seventh grade. Um, I was kind of a bad little kid, but uh, uh, tried it, didn't like it much, tried it a couple times in high school, didn't like it much personally. I I knew how to sell it, that was for sure, in high school, but I uh, uh, didn't like it. Um, college, same thing. I was not a, not a big user. Um, <clears throat> and in hindsight now, I really wish I knew how to use it appropriately. Uh, I think it could have helped me so much in my youth. But um, anyway, so didn't pay much attention to it until you fast forward a bunch. And I'm in my third year of medical school. And I get a call from my mom. And so I say, hey, mom, what's going on? My mom and I are very, very, very close. Um, amazing mom. So I get a call from her and she's like, hey, just want to kind of give you, uh, let you know what's going on. Uh, and she's a nurse. So she knows a little bit about kind of what was going on too. But she goes, uh, you know, I made an appointment with the doctor. I have painless jaundice. And so, you know, and I know, and anybody in the medical field knows a painless jaundice is a, is a trigger word. It's like a, your stomach drops. It's like shit. Can you uh, just explain what jaundice is for people? Yeah. Sorry. So jaundice is like yellowing of the, the skin. It's a, like a discoloration of the skin usually shows up in the eyes, uh, usually first actually. But, um, so basically it's because of uh, a liver dysfunction when your liver is not working well. Uh, you get a buildup of these toxins that actually turn your skin yellow. And when it's painless, it actually kind of directs you into a certain diagnosis. So anybody that kind of hears in the medical field, like painless jaundice, you're immediately thinking like, oh, shit. Yeah. So I heard that I'm in med school. I had literally just finished the week before my surgery rotations where uh, – I performed a Whipple. I was first assist on a Whipple, which we don't have to explain, but it's just a big surgery. Um, 
uh, for this this problem. And so long story short, ended up my mom was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Pancreatic cancer is a death sentence. It's a 5% uh, survival rate at about a year. Um, so I knew, and literally the week before my mom called me, I had performed the Whipple procedure, which is this major surgery um, for pancreatic cancer people to try and help them survive. But it's a grueling surgery, eight hour long abdominal surgery. Anyway, so I knew what it was and I just, I just collapsed inside. Fast forward, you know, so I'm really directing my mom's care. Uh, she's at the best institutes, really arguably in the world. She's at uh, top notches, notch hospitals in, in New York City and Boston, these experts on pancreatic cancer. And it's, it's about, she's about six months into treatment. She's not doing very well. She's in a lot of pain and she's all hopped up on opiates. She's sleeping and passed out 20 hours a day. And the four hours a day she's awake, she's out of it and in severe pain. So, you know, I, you know, I'm a naive medical student at this point. I'm learning as much as I can, you know, as fast as I can about this cancer and everything, treatments and everything. And so I figured very appropriate, let's ask. If anybody knows about medical cannabis, it's these top experts in the world in cancer research. They got to know about it, right? Yeah. So I go, yeah, right. I just say, yeah, right. <laughs> Honestly, so I'm like, I'm like, all right, it's an acceptable question. Hey, docs. My mom's in terrible pain. You're giving her eight milligrams of Dilaudid, Q4, six hours, like just stupid amounts. Uh, I said, what do you think? Let's try cannabis. And they basically laughed me out of the room. Wow. And, you know, at that point, my whole world is in chaos. So I was just like, all right, probably a dumb idea, Nick. But then I was like, ah, oh, damn, like they're not even open to this. So I kind of made a promise to myself at that point, like, if there's ever an opportunity in my future, I don't know how it's going to present itself, but if there's ever an opportunity in my future, I'm going to jump on it because I don't want other people's families to meet that type of closed-mindedness, Wow. especially in a situation where there's no cure. We're not going to cure her. It's just about quality of life at this point. Yeah. And to have closed-mindedness as a physician when you're even especially end of life care, like, what are you doing? Is that's really, it's just pride at that point getting in the way. I said to myself, I'm going to help if I can. I think most of medicine is like that. I'm having, I've, I mean, I've been doing it for a decade now. It's so amazing when I, when I hear somebody like another physician say that, like what you just said, because I mean, that's, that's really why we, we are in medicine. We're, we have to help people. And I have this idea that, you know, do no harm and then do everything else you can. Yeah. That was my, uh, that's like the motto that I've lived by for a decade. And you can't tell physicians, the mainstream physician just, just doesn't like to hear it. Does I'm dealing, I deal with it still. It's still crazy, but that's amazing that anyway, go on. Fuck that. Was yeah. Crazy. So no, you're good. Um, so basically I made that promise to myself. Um, you know, my mom unfortunately passed away. So it was about four years ago now. And, um, so I just, she, she didn't get cannabis. She did not get cannabis. No. Wow. She, um, in fact, she was such an amazing woman, a uh, very spiritual woman, you know, went to church every day and just like, uh, just incredible woman. But, um, she said, I was like, mom, let me just go, let me go down the road, talk to my, one of my buddies and like, let's just, you know, at least try it. And she said, Nick, Nick, you know, if you can't do it the right way, I don't want to do it. Wow. And, you know, it really broke my heart because those last three months of my mom's life when she was really just 
she might as well have died months prior because there was nothing there. Um, there's a little bit there, but you know, the, my point yeah. is the quality of life that could have been there if she wasn't on narcotics, we could have all my brother, you know, I have two older brothers, just my mom and her three sons could have really had a lot better memories. Those last couple months of her life, she could have had a better experience at end of life care. It just super tragic. And it didn't need to happen because it wasn't like a legal thing. It was a pride thing on the physician's part um, because it was legal in the state. It's because the physician knows less than the person requesting it. And yeah, they get so fucking defensive. Unwilling to even. Now, it's funny, actually, because Harvard uh, is just uh, is now on the forefront of, of some of cannabis. Uh, oh, today. they all jumped on the bandwagon when the yeah. money started rolling in. Especially for. Uh, I don't know if you know the name. I think we've talked about him before, Dr. Henry Lowe. Yeah, of course. He's yeah, out yeah. of Jamaica, amazing yep, guy, but he actually yep. has the first patent on, a U.S. patent on a flavonoid that Harvard is now using specifically for pancreatic cancer treatments. So I'm just like, this is bullshit. <laughs> like, um, but Unless anyways, they're so, doing it, they don't want to listen to anybody else, though. Right. Uh, even, you know, even the big universities, um, they, and, you know, I'll just quickly, uh, you know, I started, you know, I've been doing this for a decade now. I was probably, well, this clinic that's now closing was was the first long-term clinic in Canada um, and, and maybe in North America for its length of time and its sole purpose. Um, and when and McMaster decided they were going to start a cannabis research group and they called me up and said, Hey, do you know anybody that can join our research group? And I said, I don't understand. You're talking to the person <laughs> like I'm right here. Oh no, 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 <laughs> not you, not you. We need other people, not you. And I'm like, I, I don't, that doesn't really make much sense to me. And uh, it's cause unless they're doing it themselves, they feel like their lives are threatened and medicine isn't a collaboration. It's a collaboration of chiefs, right? It's a collaboration of I'm the best and I'm the best in my own field instead of we're all in the same field together. Mm -hmm. um, and those guys are anybody that's in a different field or has a different specialty, even within the same field, they'll always collaborate together uh, because they're all the best in their own thing. But as soon as somebody has more knowledge than another physician who's in the same field doing the same thing, all the defenses are up and shit just goes the wrong way. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. Uh, no, you're good. They're good points. Um, so basically what happened was, you know, I, I start my residency in ophthalmology. I've always been passionate about ophthalmology. I just love it. Um, the, the, it just fit for my personality and what I was looking for. So I love what I do in ophthalmology, but uh, then all of a sudden I'm in Florida and Florida now becomes a medical state in 2016, actually uh, they yeah. started more so in 2017. But so I was like, shoot, let's see what this is about. Um, you know, and so I got certified for it. And to be honest with you, I knew nothing about, cannabis medicine or how it worked. Um, other than a little bit of research I did when my mom was sick, but I didn't really know much about it. I would just, I wanted to jump in. So I did. And I was like, I'll figure it out as I go within a week of seeing patients. I was blown away by everything I was seeing. Um, just 
just there's really no way to capture it as a physician. Your whole goal as a physician is to help people in a natural, healthy way and give them back a quality of life. No matter what it is, whatever sickness, a broken bone or whatever, the goal is get them back to a quality of life and if not even a better quality of life than they met you with. And cannabis was like, wow. oh my gosh, how is this How is this possible? How is this actually achieving that goal in a way that I have not seen, and I'm sure you would agree, in any other discipline of medicine? I've not yeah. seen it. There's no other medicine that I can say comes close to what cannabis medicine does for the amount of people and the amount of illness, ailments that it can do it for. So I was like, shit, I gotta, I gotta figure, I gotta know this because for me to actually believe in something, I have to know why and how. And that's, you know, at the I beginning, you. you mentioned all like the letters. I, I think I have more letters at this point than that spell my name, but you do. <laughs> but the point wasn't. By the way, he's like, got a doctor of osteopathy. He's uh, which is fucking cool. He's got a doc, uh, like a, a master's in administration and master's in health public health, the masters. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but none of that was ever actually, I, ha, I have zero care about letters after my name. Of I course, I get it. But you know what it does? It legitimizes what you do. It also means you search for knowledge and that's so important. And that's the whole thing. Search for knowledge. So, you know, I was working in the hospitals and I said, I hate how hospitals are working in the United States. I hate how the administration is in charge and doctors are pawns. So I said, I want to figure out what the hell is on that side. So I went and got my, my master's in healthcare administration. Wow. And so then I was like, okay, cool. Now I understand that side. I understand my side. And then I was able to start crossing that bridge and connecting those dots. Right. Master's in public health was more of like, that came about, a, actually that was a freebie where somebody was like, hey, you want to do this master's program? It was my medical school that was offering it. And uh, they were like, <laughs> we'll let you do it. And I was like, okay. really? Yeah, it was sweet. Amazing. So that was just like thrown in my lap. Hey, and, is it true that they passed every medical student in New York? Did you hear that? So it's not every student, but it's a lot of them. And it's something I actually very strongly disagree with. Okay, uh, what happened? Tell me what happened. So it started with Cornell University. Cornell University graduated all of their fourth-year medical students prior to graduation date with the sole purpose of getting them into a hospital and getting them part of the workforce. Ooh. Now, you and I know both know, you don't know shit. Nothing. You don't know a damn thing. Even like, dangerous. okay, you learn a little bit during clinical rotations or fourth year, but you don't know a damn thing. You're a doctor, but you are not a doctor. Right, yeah, yeah. And you know, there's a reason why the death rate, <laughs> this is sad to say, <laughs> but the death rate is exponentially higher in the months of July and August. Right. When you, that's it, so true. You don't want to be a patient. And when, that's because when, you do not be a patient in July and August. Yeah. So it's so all they did was fast track that. The reason why, by the way, you don't is because that's when new doctors start working. When you finish medical school and you start residency, it's in the month of July. Right. <laughs> and so all they did was push that timeline ahead. God. And so now you have these completely inexperienced, naive, brand new physicians that if they were anything like me are going to be really gung-ho and not know their boundaries. Right. And now not only are we putting the patients' lives at a little bit more risk, but we're putting these brand new kids' lives at risk. And so my heart just breaks 
when I read about new interns and new residents that have died from COVID. Yeah, we don't talk about that much, eh? We talk about physicians like staff doctors and nurses, but what about the, you know, our residents are still in there? You know, there was one day uh, last week in New York that three residents died. Three oh, residents. Shit. These are people at the start of their lives, at their start of their careers that could potentially help tens of thousands of people in their lifetime. And, and because of this, I, I feel like it was a poorly thought out plan to put them on the front line. Um, you know, what are we doing to our people? It's, you know, it reminds me very much to a military draft, you know, back in the yeah. day when we were throwing 18 year old kids out in world war two in Vietnam, like what the hell are we doing? Um, so I was very much against that. And so Cornell did it. And then a bunch of the other schools did it. And it's mm. just, um, it's really sad when, you know, I have, and, and especially because a lot of these people, except if you're the med student who doesn't have to write a board exam, <laughs> I'm like, shit, wish they did that when I was going through. Well, I'll be honest. So I had a big board exam coming up for ophthalmology and that yeah. got, ah, uh, uh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Winning. Yeah. We have to read okay. the boards. Uh, uh, yeah. So anyways, so. All right. So back, back to cannabis. Yeah, so so for me, I saw this in the first week, and I was just like, it was eye-opening, and I was like, shit, I got to learn everything I can about this. So I did. I dove into the research, everything I could get my hands on, quality research, um, you know, and, and sought out the, the professionals, sought out the experts across the world, and I taught myself everything I could about this medicine with the sole purpose of being able to help patients better. Wow. What I found, and I think you would agree, is by knowing this medicine and the ins and outs of every aspect of this medicine that we can at this point, the success I had with my patients was exponentially higher than the physicians that were doing this that didn't care about how it worked or why it worked, right. how to do it. They were just looking. Yeah, I actually, that's a great point. There's two types of physicians in this cannabis industry and mm -hmm. those that see their patients and care about them. And those that are just there to make a buck and try to figure out, you know, like just the, the, the script mill guys, I, I totally agree. The script mill guys don't really care, but yet somehow they're, you know, and they're the ones that are actually super busy and that's because it's so easy to get an appointment with them. They want to see you in five minutes. They don't take the time and the people that go to them just don't care either. Right. Uh, so I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. 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 So, and unfortunately, I, I don't know if I'm sure it's the same up there, but, uh, the, the, Percentage of physicians that care is a very small percentage in this industry, which is, mm -hmm. it's been tough. It's been tough over the years to really get out the message and educate. That's a huge part of what I do is just educating other physicians on how to do what they're doing better. So uh, now you're working with, you're working with, with a company. So yeah, so let me, so before that, so then, so I started doing it. I did it for, uh, I saw patients nights and weekends because uh, I was still doing ophthalmology during the day. And then nights and weekends, I was doing cannabis. Uh, it was killing me, but I loved it. So I was like, okay, you know, this is meaningful for me. It's fulfilling. So uh, I did that for two years. I saw about 7,000 patients. When I ended, it was 5,000. And then over the last two years, it's been an additional two. But so 5,000 patients uh, in two years was a mess. I never expected that. I never expected to grow as fast as I did. But when you put out good quality you know, education and medicine, it's, it's crazy how attractive that is. So without even planning, I became kind of a leader here in Florida. And then 
but the hours were killing me. I'm a single dad. I got three little kids. So I was like, shit, like I got to figure this out better. And along came uh, one of the, the cannabis companies here in Florida and we're in seven other states and three other countries. But uh, they vetted- Did you mention the name or no? Formerly they were known as Sertera Wellness. They're now uh, right. called Parallel. Yep. More commonly known as Sertera Wellness. Um, and so Sertera approached me last year and said, hey, listen, like we see what you've done in the community. We see- you know, what you have to offer when we want to bring you on board. Unfortunately, in Florida, I can't see patients and also work for a, a dispensary. And so I, it was a tough decision. What do you uh, mean? It's so too much of a conflict? Yeah, exactly. So uh, we have, uh, it falls kind of under a, so what's called the Stark Law. So the Stark Law is that you can't have invested interests in the place that you are directing your patients to. So, for instance, I can't own the drug that I'm also recommending my patient to buy the drug. Uh, so definitely conflict of interest doing both. Um, and so I had to unfortunately make that decision to give up seeing patients. But I did it with the thought that came true, thankfully, that, OK, in two years, I was able to touch 5000 patients uh, in less than a year with this company. I've, I've been able to effectively um, help actually millions of patients because of how now I'm involved in orchestrating and designing legislation, designing products, um, and just that being able to affect at a higher level, that trickle-down effect is, is now hitting tens of thousands of patients. So I, that was kind of my justification. I missed the one-on-one -on -one patients. I still do it here and there but uh, in an unofficial kind of consultant form now. Right, of course. So now I work for this big company and it's been incredible to be able to really influence you know, their movements to make sure that they stay with a very medicine mindset. Uh, you know, what's something I found in this industry is that once it goes to adult use, you lose a lot of the medical uh, utility. And um, you know, why do I have to see a doctor if I can just go to the store and buy it? Well, because the doctor's gonna tell you what to buy how to buy it, what like what what to use, what's going to be best for your diagnosis and your experience level, so on and so forth. I agree. What's happened with um, since legalization? I mean, it's only it's you guys have use as well. Um, or is it medical use? In okay. Florida, it's just medical, but like our biggest stores are actually in Massachusetts. So Massachusetts has adult use and right. medical. And so what do you find, uh, you know, what have you guys found in the U.S. since legalization? Uh, are people still going to medical doctors for it or are they mostly focusing on going to the dispensary but looking to somebody for education? Yeah. And, you know, I looked at these numbers probably about two, three years ago now. And at that time, uh, I would I would gather it's much different now. But at that time, um a state that went from purely medical to medical and uh, adult use uh, lost about 20 to 30 percent. Uh, yeah. And so I actually expected that to be higher. Um, I, I think that if I looked at those numbers today, I think it'd be even higher. Um, but uh, yeah, it's definitely it, it's a problem. I see about. I think it's probably about upwards of almost 50% now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, the 50% the of the patient that we had back then 
the truth is our population has to our 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 demographics have totally shifted the average age now i mean initially when i was doing this the average age was probably 40 year old female um now i'm looking at the average age 65 year old female Mm-hmm. And uh, and and sixty and over aren't going to the to the lifestyle market. They're coming to a physician, and they always want to be seen by a physician. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, here in Canada, they all believe healthcare is free. So, you know, uh, it's always been. It's not free, by the way. We pay for it in our taxes, uh, and we pay fifty-two percent income tax. Okay, like pretty crazy. Uh, and, you know, in, in, ta- in our ta- in whatever tax bracket, upwards of 52 <clears throat> percent. And uh, and so what ends up happening is uh, the demographic being totally shifted. Those people want to see a doctor and they want to see you face to face. So those are the that's like the focus right now is more on the the laundry list of medications that they've literally just had a fuck enough of using. Right. Like you got people that come in on 12 different medications. And what I love, what I absolutely love about this is the about cannabinoid medicine is that we're so used to and, and this is one of the defense mechanisms of the of the physician. We're so used to having nine drugs to treat one disease. But now we have one drug that treats nine diseases. And and so I see somebody come in with 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 a laundry list and they leave on two medicine, two medications, three medications. You know, that. that is like the satisfaction. And that's when I'm like fucking mic drop right there. And I like, you know what I mean? And, and so, yeah, like it's it's just it's just awesome seeing it. 13 medicines is my like highest that I've seen somebody come off of. And uh, she goes around, talks about it all the time. And and I think I spoke about her uh, a little bit when I was uh, in Miami there. Or sorry, in, um, in Florida, in or wherever we were, Orlando. Yeah, it's interesting because I actually, right before I finished uh, kind of seeing patients officially, I sent out a survey. And I think you actually uh, presented something like this too. But I sent out a survey to my 5,000 patients and I got like a 95% response rate. So it just wow. actually really powerful survey. Um, and that was some of the big questions were, how many meds were you on before cannabis medicine? How many were you able to come off of? And it was something like 87% of those 5,000 patients, 87% uh, lost up to five medications. Wow. And then it was something like 32% were between five and 10 medications. And then there was a very small outlier of like, uh, it was like two or 3% of that total was 10 or more medications that they were off of. And it was just like, holy shit. What were you you, kidding me? It's crazy. You were actually, you were telling me about some, uh, some of sleep's, how cannabis was helping sleep in some of the sleep study kind of stuff that that you've seen you know yeah yeah can, so, we, can uh, we get into that quickly i want to yeah, talk about yeah, that we, I, I know you love that stuff yeah um so and it's so important of, for patients to hear yeah Both, absolutely. and if you could talk about the different cannabinoids that you know, you were finding and what parts of the sleep they were affecting there's so much confusion around how cannabinoids help sleep and you know and we were talking about rem and it's not like you're really losing REM you're just going through it quicker remember yeah exactly it's all yep. the time now and what cannabinoids do just go through it people will love this people need to hear the shit 
Yeah. So, I mean, obviously when you talk about cannabis, like one of the main thing, you know, pain comes up, anxiety comes up, sleep comes up, hands down. Always. So those were three areas that I wanted to focus my initial kind of research in. You know, once I learned everything I could about it, then I said, and I was seeing patients and I was like, I want to come up with actual objective data because that's what I believe in. Like right. anecdotal. Yeah. I have a shit ton. That's, I don't know if that's a new England term, but a shit ton is a lot. Perfect. <laughs> we have a shit ton of anecdotal data, Yeah. but to my colleagues, it doesn't really mean anything. So it means a little something if they also have that anecdotal data. But if they don't have that experience, then my anecdotal data means nothing to them. They're like, okay, prove it. Right. And so I, get I was like, okay, so sleep was a big thing. And I had access or I have access to a good friend of mine who's a pulmonologist, actually, who also runs a sleep center. And so we, doctor. Uh, yeah, we, uh, uh, you know, had volunteers and um, that were, were using cannabis medicine. And we started doing uh, sleep studies on them. And the data was uh, not only impressive, but it was consistent. And this is a big thing that we, we were worried about was consistency of data. Um, because there's a hundred different reasons why sleep is a problem. It could be PTSD or it could be pain or it could be, you know, a million other things. So, but does the medicine work consistently no matter what the reason is? And we found that it actually does, which is incredible. So what did we look at? We looked at different forms, different routes of how to take in cannabis medicine. So whether it's inhalation or oral, uh, even patches, things like that. We looked at different ratios. We looked at um, different cannabinoids and different actually terpene profiles. And what we found was a very specific, all of them worked. Let's get that out. So cannabis medicine works for sleep. But we found it's about five to six times more effective if the right cannabinoids and the right dosing is used. And so we found that it's a, a combination of THC, CBD, and CBN. Uh, CBG actually is incredible too. Um, CBG is a, is a second arm of this study that we're now working on. Um, but initial reports on a, a combination of THC, CBG, and then also CBG, CBN. Um, these are really, really good combinations, especially for very uh, cannabis naive or very THC sensitive patients. A CBN, CBG combination has been shown to be, uh, we're finding anyways in a small population, uh, to be almost as effective as a THC product. So really good stuff. Really? But, um, so basically what, so we found this kind of set, uh, ratio and then the middle of this ratio, what's that? What is this ratio? Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's a, a fairly equal amounts of THC okay. to, uh, to CBN, um, and CBD uh, in a little bit lower amount. So you could call it, um, without giving you any proprietary stuff, uh, you could call it close to a, um, uh, a one to one to three ratio. THC, CBN, CBD. 
Okay. Uh, and then terpene profile. Actually, this was interesting, but it makes sense. Terpenes we know are so important to give our, our what I just say is the, 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 the terpenes give you what the feel of yeah. the, the cannabis. So is it going to make me happy? Is it going to make me tired? Is it going to make me this and that? But what we know from terpene science is that the terpenes, when you, especially when you inhale THC, the terpenes hit almost immediately. You get an effect from terpenes immediately, but they actually only last about 30 to 45 minutes. Whereas the can the cannabinoids will last an additional with inhalation an additional hour or two depending on the person, so that's if you ever get the question I'm sure you have of why do I when I use a sativa which is this terpene profile that you know is labeled as a sativa I hate that language but I don't I don't use I don't use like, it either uh, but you know very high limonene content yeah um you know, things like that but this profile. Why do it's supposed to be? So, point is, it's supposed to be activating. Why do I use an activating cannabis product, but then I always end up tired at the end of it? Well, two reasons. One is because that terpene profile is actually gone after about 45 minutes, where you're still having the effects of just pure cannabinoids. THC, in and of itself, at a at a, at a small dose is activating, but it's a biphasic curve. So has a curve like this, but then if you hit a peak dosage and then it comes down and has a different effect. So at the other end of that curve, it's actually a different effect. And that's where sedation on this end of the curve, that's where sedation from THC comes from. Yeah. So in, in my opinion, that's you've overshot your dose at that point, but that's where most, unfortunately, most people end up. Most people in the rec world want to be there. So they end up taking a whole bunch of, you know, a whole bunch of THC or whatever it is. Um, and they just um, get sedated. And they just get sedated after like 20 minutes. Right. You know? So exactly. So the terpenes are gone. Yeah. And now you're getting the high dosage effect of the THC. Yeah. So, so yeah, the half-life is a little longer. So totally. coming back around is saying that the... So back to sleep. What we found with sleep was that the terpene profile wasn't nearly as important as we thought. Mm -hmm. I was expecting the terpene profile to be massively important for quality of sleep, and it actually wasn't. Um, even with giving this sativa-type profile, that first 45 minutes, it became much more difficult to fall asleep, but how it affected their sleep cycles was still consistent regardless of the type of cannabis used. And that was really interesting because that was a little different than most studies I've read. Yeah. So you're saying it didn't matter what the profile was. It was the ratios of what the cannabinoids. Exactly. Uh-huh. And so what did you find? Like, what is it that, you know, let's say somebody has trouble falling asleep, but okay, staying asleep versus somebody who falls asleep well, but can't stay asleep. Yeah. So that has to do more so with the route. So the route of use, and this is what I, and I'm, uh, you do it too, is, is, is I, you know, until the industry gets to the point of kind of advanced pharmaceuticals, um, it's as simple as you're kind of designing your own time release. So for my patients that have difficulty falling asleep, it's as simple as using an inhaled route because it works within five minutes. It works for two to three hours. So you're in bed, lights are off, TV's off, because intentionality matters too. 
And I'm sure you know this. I know you know. I always talk about that. Intentionality matters. If you're up watching TV in your bed and you're smoking, you're going to be watching the same movie an hour later. And then you're going to be like, oh, why the hell am I watching a movie still? I'm supposed to be asleep. Right. But if you had just closed your eyes, you would have been asleep that whole hour. So intentionality matters. But if you're trying to go to sleep, inhaling will put you to sleep five minutes. I usually, it was very rare for me to have a patient that would fall asleep or have difficulty falling asleep, but once asleep would get six to eight hours. That's a rarer patient to me than the patient that just says, I have difficulty falling asleep and I can't stay asleep. (laughs) Um, Right. So typically inhalation for getting to sleep, but you do a time release because when you want to go to bed, you inhale your cannabis medicine and also take an appropriate dose of oral medicine. Reason being is because the inhaled is going to work right away, but the oral is going to kick in in an hour or two. So when the inhaled is tapering off, the oral is at is then starting up. And now you're talking about six to eight hours of a deep, restful sleep. Did it matter which cannabinoids you were using to stay asleep or fall asleep? No. Uh-huh. Interesting. No. So the ratios of the cannabinoids were consistent with just sleep in general. And I believe our theory here is because of how it interacts with the sleep cycles. And so I know that's what you wanted me to get to yeah. next point. Um, you know, we talk about different sleep cycles and everybody knows REM sleep. So REM sleep is actually a half conscious uh, sleep. So you're, that's where all your dreams are happening because you're actually half conscious. Your brain is awake even though you're sleeping. And so, um, but REM sleep is necessary. Everybody needs REM sleep. In fact, sleep studies are, or sleep uh, science is so cool because if you miss out on your REM sleep at night, your body actually will force it during the day. And so daydreaming is actually, in many instances, a form of REM sleep. Um, uh, and there's, uh, there's other moments like that or during the day where you're kind of, your brain kind of shuts off for a minute um, or you zone out. It's actually, in many ways, it's exa- we call it, oh, I'm exhausted, I'm tired, right. I'm stressed out. It's like actually my daily life. forcing a REM sleep Thought it was because it missed it. So anyway, so you need REM sleep. And one of the concerns with cannabis medicine is that we knew from previous studies that it significantly shortens REM sleep. So what does this mean for long-term use? Right. Because loss of REM sleep actually can rear its head in a lot of psychiatric disorders right? Um, and cause psychiatric disorders. So there's a concern here with the science of this. So what we found, though, was that, yes, it shortens REM sleep. It extends by up to 20 to 30 percent your delta sleep. Now, delta sleep is where all, it's your deepest level of sleep where all of your healing happens and where your rejuvenation happens. So that's where you get a good, that's why you could take, um, you know, a short uh, power nap. You could take a a two hour nap and just have phenomenal or even, you know, 20 minutes, but that's a different reason. But while you're able, you don't need an eight hour rest to really get a boost of energy because that healing is coming in delta sleep only. So we're extending the amount of time of rejuvenating sleep. We're shortening the REM sleep. But because we're shortening the REM sleep, which is actually a, a, a decently long period of sleep, 
we're able to actually get, typically, we're able to get an extra cycle of sleep in, or at least the REM part of it. We're actually able to get an extra REM cycle in to the same amount of time. Now that's now that to me is is fucking awesome. Yeah. Because you know, uh, I was always under the impression that you know with PTSD and all this kind of with everything, we're going to decrease your REM. We're going to get you you know lower REM and uh, and then you're going to be you know so you don't dream and you don't get night terrors. You're just going to pass through it quicker. You're going to get more delta. You're still going to get deep, deep sleep. You're just going to go through REM a lot quicker, but you're still going to get it, and you're going to get an extra cycle. I think that's that's phenomenal. It's crazy. It's like, you know, I've been, I told you I used to hate it, but I've been a daily cannabis user now for uh, going on five years, and I, I, you know, honestly, I get about four to five hours of sleep um, a night, and and. I function great. My energy levels are great throughout the day. Um, I'm not foggy at all during the day. So for me, just in my work is very high demand where, uh, you know, I'm working and it's not because it's just because that's, that's the amount of sleep I get, but it's not like an insomnia. It's just because that's what I allow myself to sleep. And it doesn't hurt me because even in that four to five hours of sleep, I'm getting the same type of same amount uh, amount rejuvenation part that i would be in six to eight hours of sleep and it's just phenomenal nick it has been an absolute pleasure you're a wealth of knowledge and uh fuck i'm right see what i'm saying it's a right we could go forever we're not done we got news on my phone i was just like we got news because we just started. We did just start because this is see this is this is what happens when we start when I start talking when you start talking this is like when we get into our zone we're just we could go forever and it's just like it, it's like nothing ever happened. I want to continue the talk, but we got to get to some news that sure. we're gonna you know we're gonna we're we're going to uh, interrupt this this broadcast to bring you the news by Janelle and but I think it's crazy. So first of all, I just want to summarize the sleep thing. Cause I'm, I'm, I think it's, I think it's amazing. And I, this is what I, and, and it's how I explain it to people. You, you know, cannabis users potentially require less amount quantity of sleep in hours because your sleep that you are getting is the quality of your sleep yeah. is better. And, uh, and, and I think that's the take home message from this. So cannabis can help with sleep. Talk, just give me a number. How many patients do you think were put through that? More like than the, like the your sleep study. The sleep, yeah. Uh, we had on our first study, we had forty patients. So uh, you know, not a huge end. But How many are you up to now? So our second leg of the study um, is we added. We actually those forty patients. It's crazy. People that want to do cannabis research are so committed. We had, I think, like a less than a two percent drop-off rate uh, of true. patients. It's cr- it's so awesome. They're yeah, yeah. So those same forty came back for our second leg, and we added an additional thirty onto it. So um, you know, not massive. You know, it's tough to do cannabis research right now. Oh yeah. Uh, in the United States, because it's actually a, a kind of illegal to do. Yeah. So it, we have to be very careful on how we do it and uh, what we do. And of course. Really, we're just, it's more of just we're observing 
uh, is really how it's it's classified is we're observing people's habits and that's how we can get away with it. Um, but uh, when these restrictions loosen up, I think, you know, it's not just me. There's so many scientists and physicians oh, yeah. kind of underground studies um, that as soon as this kind of, you know, the fear of, of getting in trouble for it, you're going to see studies like this coming out that are then going to be peer reviewed. And that's oh, when yeah. it's in every hospital system and everybody, every physician's it, office. It, when America gets federally legal on this thing, which may happen, I mean, we're in an economic crisis now and cannabis revenue can probably save it. Um, and the world will change because that I mean, it's the U.S. Like the opportunity is so huge. You guys have the ability to do so much over there. We do a whole bunch of studies here too, but and we have the ability to do them. But I think the U.S. The, usually, you know, the world follows what happens over there. So uh, I'm super fucking excited, and I fully respect everything that you've done and that you are doing. And in such a short period of time, remember this only came legal there in 2016. Uh, you know, we've been fighting this over here for two decades, and I've been doing it for about a decade and uh and uh, starting from scratch i mean and it is a sad time for me I, I already said that the clinic i'm sitting in now at synergy was probably the first well it's definitely the first clinic in ontario the longest running clinic actively in canada at this point in time and uh and and it's closing because of COVID. It just, there's no reason where we've moved everything virtually. I'm keeping one of the clinics in Burlington. So it's a little bittersweet for me, but uh, uh, the progression is happening and I'm glad there's people there that are continuing the legacy and moving it forward and going to take it a lot fucking further than I ever did. And that's, uh, that's huge. And you're, you're that guy. I listen to you talk and it reminds me of when I was, when I like, it reminds me when I started. And I mean, I still have that same passion. It's so crazy that, that, like you said, the, like those who are working in cannabis and want to do cannabis research and that we're just like, it's like gung ho. Cause we know that, you know, and I firmly believe cannabinoid medicine will revolutionize the way we practice medicine anyway fuck we need to get to uh let's get to the news Janelle, what's going on all right so we're kind of starting off on a little bit of a sad note i don't know if you guys rem remember um charlotte the young girl yeah. who the web cbd was named after she actually passed away yesterday um that charlotte passed away i'm so sorry yeah, it's a sad time for the cannabis community because she was kind of really at the forefront of bringing the awareness of like using CBD for treating um, epilepsy. So for a lot of people in the cannabis community, this is kind of a sad moment. But on the bright side or the silver lining of it is through her advocacy, she was actually able to help so many people. So I think that's the, the kind of like the solace that we can take from the situation that even though she's gone, she brought about so much change and so much good in the industry. Epidialects, I mean, basically is Charlotte's Web, and it it's the the um, it just became federally legal in the United States too. It was taken off. And of that. descheduled, actually. Descheduled. That's what I meant. It yeah, was descheduled. Yeah. yeah. She, uh, you know, she, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to chime in on this wiki part, but. <laughs> um, no, and you know, I put out a message uh, today to to everybody that that follows me is that uh, you really, if any it, anybody that's ever used CBD or cannabis medicine, really needs to just take whatever you do, whether it's 
prayer or good vibes or energy or just whatever it is really needs to send it up to her and her family because we would not be anywhere near where we are today without her influence and um, uh, the impact that she's had uh, even in my own life um, uh, uh, with with my personally as a cannabis patient um, just incredible little girl and unfortunately she actually passed from the coronavirus. Yeah. Oh no um, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Complications from it. Fuck. This, this fucking thing. I know. We need to the beat block. this thing with a spatula, like, or my mom's cane, <laughs> like, like we, like it needs a, it needs a beat down. Yeah, it Damn. does. Can we go to some happy shit? Anything? <laughs> no. Okay. What else you got? So on an interesting note, I mean. The stock market in general is taking a hit right now, but in particular, cannabis stocks um, are taking a hit. And one particular stock that is having an extremely rough time is Aurora Cannabis, which is kind of ironic because when cannabis stocks really started searching, a surging, that was kind of the one that everybody was saying, like, you need to invest in. And it was really, really popular, but it has now lost 92 percent of its value and it's sitting at 80 cents per share right now and i mean the way that it's trending is it's looking like it can fall to zero because right now aurora cannabis their their projected liabilities for the rest of the fiscal year is a lot higher than their actual cash flow so i think all of them are like that yeah (laughs) like there is not a cannabis LP right now in Canada, I can think of who's cash flow positive at all. Like, and and they were trading in the U.S. too, right? Is yeah. that is that what's up? Yeah. They, yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Ah, I don't know. Bruce Linton said uh, on BNN there the other night that uh, you know at the end of this whole COVID thing, there's going to be what five or six LPs left. Who the hell knows? It's a bloodbath right now. Yeah. The bubble burst. Everybody's falling apart. Yeah. Throw it all away. I don't fucking know. It's crazy because when you think about even like a year, year and a half ago, like that was, it's what everybody was jumping on. Got to get these stocks, got to get these stocks. And now everybody's just kind of sitting here like sadly, like, what did I do? Yeah. Well, I'm thinking like the same way. Like, what did I do? I think retail is going to bring everything back to life. But I mean, at least that's what I thought. Uh, Although right now, like we're like, this couldn't have hit at the worst time. Like this COVID thing just like, was just like a bomb in the middle of like like the busiest intersection at the busiest time when everything was just is again chaos again so who knows what's going to happen i definitely don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that the bubble's bursting though because i think that the potential for this bubble was so massive and it had no real we didn't know when it was going to pop we just knew it was going to so i think that we kind of this may have popped the bubble before it really could have done a lot more damage than it could have. Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, here in Canada, it was already like uh, people were, it was either feast or famine, you know? It was like people either did really well or lost their shirt. And yeah. uh, and I think it taught everybody a lesson, you know, who was in it. And it, yeah, yeah, it's a good point. What else you got? Shit, no. this is all sadness. <laughs> well, 
I mean, it's 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 the era that we're in right now, which which is unfortunate. So data published in the Journal of America of the American Medical Association actually stated that incidences of e-cigarette or vaping product use associated um, lung injury are primarily concentrated to jurisdictions where cannabis is still illegal. Honestly, for me, that's no surprise, because if you think of cannabis, if you think of even alcohol prohibition, anytime that you restrict something, there is going to become a black market. And the black market isn't regulated by anybody. People can just kind of produce what they want and sell it and say, this is what it is. And there's a lot of danger and risk that comes with that. Whereas when you have a legal market, you have you have such a system in place to make sure that what hits the store shelves is tested, it's safe, and there is minimal risk. So it's not surprising to me at all that we're seeing these instances in the illegal um, jurisdictions. That's a good point. Uh, you know, especially with standardization, you yeah. know, that's, that's what you, you know, that's, that's what you can expect. I mean, there are, the legacy market still has, you know, still has a hold. It's, Yep. Grip never going to go away just because the cannabis is really good and uh, potentially really good. I don't know. Maybe it's really good. <laughs> Shit. And uh, but for the most part, yeah, that's a good point you raised. Yeah. Again, uh, that's a positive note. Yeah, it that's is. Something that's positive. And Yo, I- let me ask. I got to ask you a question. So I was just reading some articles about the who. Do you think the who really fucked up? Like, do you think they failed us in this COVID thing? Do you think that they for, they didn't let us? They I know this is I know it's totally like just off the wall here, but I was just reading some articles like they the WHO basically said don't worry about it it's not transmittable and back in the day this isn't transmittable to humans and uh, let all these millions of people travel like mm, what's the story I don't I don't know anyway. Me as somebody who isn't a medical doctor and kind of was just looking at this on the news. Yeah. I think initially it really gave me the impression like, oh, this is just like a trumped up flu. Like it's right. absolutely nothing to worry about. So when I first was hearing about it, I wasn't really doing anything. I was like, ah, it's just the news. They're hyping it up, but you know, whatever. And then like March hit, and then you were like, oh shit, this is not at all what we thought it was three weeks ago. Like this is so different beast and then like life changed instantly and I think a lot of other people had that same impression because when I was asking my friends I was like oh like are your classes canceled yet like no no they're not gonna cancel classes over this thing you know and people were like I'm gonna still go on my trips and stuff like that so I think when that initial information was coming out it really gave people a sense of like there really wasn't anything going on and then now a few weeks later we're like, like on total lockdown and we're just like what the f happened yeah, I think they knew stuff. I think they just didn't let. I don't know. I think the who may have let us all down a little bit back back when this all started. You know, damn, there is not a whole bunch of fun shit. Can we put up some of these fun slides? Okay, we got to see how. Gonna show you some fun stuff now. We got some slides here. We're gonna show you some slides. Yo, Derek, can you pull up some of these? Yeah. So this is what this is how people are going out. Like, come on, I love it. Look at this. You know, put the, there's one with this dude with the bag. Where's the bag over the no, head? Wait, I want to I want to comment real quick. I as an ophthalmologist, I appreciate the cone because <laughs> it's it's not only helping to filter and make sure he's not inhaling, but it's providing a means of social distancing 
So he, he, the likelihood of contracting it into his, his eyes, which is a form of, of transmission, uh, if you don't have goggles, wear a cone. That's <laughs> <laughs> this guy, look at this guy. This guy's got a helmet. This guy took a walk. <laughs> what is that? That looks like a water container, like when you pour water. <laughs> wow. Uh, How does that not fog up? It's incredible. <laughs> it's, people come up with the crazy shit. So, is, I mean, there are some fun things that have come out of COVID. Like, watch, there's a dude with a scuba. Where's the scuba? Watch this guy. Oh, I, I Oh, no, that guy's just going to kill himself by suffocation. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this guy's, there's this guy's or by how high, did, how high his pants are. <laughs> there's some strangulation happening in both areas. Uh, this guy's got, nice. he's wearing his scuba. Wait, anyway, I mean, anyway, these are just funny. All right. What else? Do you got one last thing for us before we close this off? Wait, I don't know if you can see this. Yeah, the scuba dude. You saw that one? <laughs> oh, geez. People are awesome. Oh, people are crazy. What do you got for us? Oh, this got to cover the dreads. <laughs> oh, it's just awesome. Wow, well, at least incredible. we get some fun out of this thing. I know, there's so All many right. ones you see every day, man. All right, what else? Do you got one last? Give us like your best thing that something like that's like not so horrible that we can end off this show. Horrible. It's more interesting than anything else. So okay. I was working for Botosa, a California-based company that specializes in infusions. Yeah. They've Determine that, like, when you know, like, all of a sudden there's all these CBD infused drinks and stuff like that on the market. But they've determined that the ones that actually come in aluminum cans, that the liners are actually causing the drinks to lose potency, mm. which is very interesting. Like, I never mm. even thought of that. So, their theory is that the, the, um, the actual cannabis material is like sticking to the liner so when you pour the drink or you're drinking the drink it's like coming out without the actual cannabis ingredient so it's these companies to kind of go back to the drawing board on the technology well, that's pretty cool so then like i'm gonna collect all the cans for five cents and then just scrape the insides and make a whole ton of money yeah leaching leaching happens i guess like with all different things i i think we're finding that problem with uh cannabis waters and all that stuff anyway so much to talk about so much awesome shit um nick i've had an amazing time with you we got to do this again because there's yeah, so much more to talk about and i'd love to hear what's happening in the uh in the u.s market and i'd love to hear more about what you're doing and as time progresses please keep me and keep us here at cannabis wiki apprised is there anybody you want to shout out to anything you want to tell people to do go look at go find your Go find yourself. He is a single dad, people. <laughs> <laughs> if you are uh, in the market and yeah. want to move to a warmer climate than Canada, I, uh, I may know an opportunity for you. Okay. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can follow me online. It's a small account, but I do a lot of my cannabis stuff at uh, Florida Bud Doc. It's on Instagram. Um, a lot of my, uh, I'm also on Facebook. I have a, uh, a Facebook group that, uh, shit, I don't even know the name of it. <laughs> it's, uh, let me pull it up real quick. It is medical cannabis applied research society. 
So again, it's a again, it's Medical Cannabis Applied Research Society. Um, again, it's it's just a small group where I post uh, not only videos but uh, new research. I wanted to make a group because I'm sick of all these bullshit, opinionated asshole yeah. people. And I was like, you need a place where you have somebody that vets out the research and then says, hey, look, this is a good study. Let's pay attention to it. This right. sucks. Throw it away. Uh, you get so many of these people that are these uh, armchair experts now that think they can Everyone's Google something they know what they're talking about. So uh, just some things there. And uh, no, I, I, I hope we do this often. This yeah, awesome. this is awesome. I, I'd love to have you on again. That would be awesome. Uh, don't forget to check out Cannabis Wiki, cannabis.wiki. Uh, check us out on the net. Check us out on Instagram. Check us out on the socials. You can see me at Dr. Ira Price. I don't even know. I think that's my Instagram. <laughs> uh, that's so funny. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. It's doc Yeah, that's it. You got it. Uh, Dr. Ira Price. And uh, you can also... Uh, check out synergy health services no longer need a referral we're trying to minimize the amount of uh, uh barriers there are to access even in this world right now with covid it's added so much more to it so now you just call us up and we'll get you and we'll get you seen as line i'll i'll vet you personally and decide <laughs> um but uh, other than that check out anything else we need to uh i'll say one up? thing too is for everybody listening uh you know i know when I see a quality physician taking care of their patients, especially in the cannabis space, and uh, Dr. Ira is that, he is he is that. And so you can go to one of these dock in a box places and get you know whatever you need, but if you really want to take control of your health uh, with cannabis medicine, use it appropriately, figure out how to use it the right way, uh, this is the man. And you know it's been such an honor and a ple pleasure privilege to meet you and to become friends and and uh to, to be in this industry with you so just for the people listening um uh if you want the good stuff this is where it's at we call that the good good and this is the good good right here oh thanks <laughs> i appreciate that brother Super, yeah for sure. thank you all right everybody i think we're done i think we got this one down and we're wrapped up thanks for listening to the higher estate and don't forget we're probably going to start i don't know when when we figure it out we're going to hire a state morning edition. We'll do an hour every morning for you. Peace. <laughs>